0: When tempted to blame others, I must courageously confront the person in the mirror.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message... Here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Amen, amen, amen. What a great song that is. And uh, as we're preparing our hearts to open the Word, I pray you're excited and ready to feast upon the Word of God today. And so, uh, as we typically do, not out of habit, but just out of necessity, let's pray again. And so let's quiet our hearts here and just ask the Lord to Uh, To speak in a a mighty way today, that we would hear clearly, that we would obey, that God, whatever you want to do, God, we just simply give our lives to you right now. And so, Father, as we commune with you again, can we ever commune with you enough? Can we ever commune with you too much? Because your son lives, we can face today. Because he lives, we can deal with our yesterday. And because he lives, our future's secure. So, Father, would you speak right now? I pray you give me the words to say. I pray that you would. Give us a fresh picture of who you are today. Just fresh. I pray the word would come alive today, God. And so as you speak, move me out of the way. And to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and let's turn to James. James chapter 1 and we are in 13 through 15 today and uh, looking forward to this text as i was preparing this week and uh, just thinking about the word and how rich it is and glorious the word is and you know from last time that we were together that we looked at James 1:12 and and blessed happy is that man that woman that student that child that remains steadfast under that trial that that when they have stood the test when they've passed the test they're going to receive the crown of life. And here James, like he often does, he, he kind of weaves back and forth under this grand scheme of counting it all joy. And here in 13 through 15 of James 1, he, he says some incredible words. And I want you to, to notice the, the sermon title today. It, it's one that I think we need to verbalize because we live in a culture where it seems like everyone is asking whose fault it is. Whose fault is it? It's so easy to want to push the fault somewhere else, and we're going to see very clearly from God's Word today that where the fault resides. Here it is, James chapter 1, 13 through 15. The Word says this. I pray you have a Bible open and your notes and A pen handy to write down what the Holy Spirit speaks into your life. James 1, 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Don't miss that. And he himself tempts no one. Don't miss that either. Now look at 14, there's there's a pivot here. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Underline that. Now look at the consequences, 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, picture this, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You know, the thought occurred to me here in preparation for this, that, that when we rush through the Word, and it's easy to do, isn't it? Man, we, we want to rush through it and we read it and we want to get through it and we're reading and reading and reading. When we rush through the Word, I've noticed this in my own life, that when I rush through it or in a hurry, I'm not transformed by the Word. We're very intentionally picking every word apart in James, very intentionally, because we want to be transformed by the Word. We want the Word to do a work in us. We want to see clearly. We want to understand the, the truth clearly. We want to see God clearly in a fresh way. And here in 13 of chapter 1, he comes right out of the, the gate and says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot, make a note of that, cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So, so we got two things here. We We see here that there's this temptation again. And if you go up in verse 2 in your Bible, you're going to see there that uh, there's trials and there's temptation, depending on the translation. The same word is used, the same Greek root word is used, showing the temptation and the trials. Very important to notice this because as we're studying this, we want to see clearly what Scripture says. It's used here in such a foundational point that I pray that we'll see very, very clearly without any hesitation that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. I I made a note here. I said this, the challenge is that when we attempt to understand and embrace biblical truth through a human lens, through our finite thinking, we typically end up on the opposite side of God, don't we? A real dust statement. We need to begin to look through the biblical lens. That's why the Bible is so necessary, so important. It's, it's so foundational in my life and your life that it's that filter that everything runs through the word. We, we run everything through the word. Every situation, every question in life, we run it through the word of God. I want to make sure we remember something, church. I mentioned this last week and I pray that it sunk in because I've been thinking about it all week. The trials in your life, the temptations in your life, and again, uh, there can be trials where you're going through a hard time. There could be legitimate temptation for sin in your life. These two things do not destroy our faith. These two things reveal whether our faith is real or not. They don't destroy the faith, they reveal the faith. There's that testing. Again, go up to verse 12, one verse up, that under this testing, these these trials that we go through, when we've stood the test, as we remain under it, what happens is this, our faith is revealed to be what it really is. That our faith is sure, that it's true, that it cannot be shaken. That's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes, key number one. Here it is, when tempted to blame God for my trials or temptations, don't, period. I know the English on that probably isn't the best for you school teachers. But key number one, let me say this again. I pray the the point is clear. When tempted, that word when is very important. Look at your Bible for a moment there in verse 13 let who? Some people? No, let no one, zero tolerance, say when he is tempted, when. It's, it's not if we're tempted. We are all tempted. We live in these bodies of death. We're walking around on planet earth. Uh, there's the allure of the world, uh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. It's everywhere. We're, we're tempted. We're tempted. We're tempted. And in the midst of this, key number one, when, not if, when we are tempted to blame God, God, why are you allowing this into my life? When we're tempted to blame Him for the trial, when we're tempted to blame God for the temptations, don't. Just don't. Have that zero tolerance policy there in your life. Spurgeon said it like this I love this Satan tempts, God tries. But the same trial may be both a temptation and a trial. And it may be a trial from God's side and a temptation from Satan's side. Just as Job suffered from Satan and it was a temptation, but he also suffered from God through Satan. And so it was a trial to him. When are you and I tempted to blame God? Do we blame God when things are going well? And things are going well. You got money in the bank. You got the car. Uh, you're living where you want to live. And you're just blaming God, right? Of course not. That'd be silly. We typically blame God when when things aren't going like we want. And the bottom is falling out and life is just unraveling. It's just unraveling and we're like going, "God, what are you doing?" God, I didn't sign up for this. Why are you allowing this to happen in my life, God? And we begin to question, and at times we blame Him. Why, God? Why, God? You know, one of the things we talked about before in James is this maturity. And maybe you know someone who's walked deeply with the Lord, maybe for a short season, maybe for a long season. But there's a maturity in their life, and, and when, not if the trials come in and, and they come through. And, and it's not in the flesh that we go, hey, we just can't wait for the trials to happen, because our flesh is weak. But even in the midst of that, we do embrace them and we go, God, we're not gonna say, why me? But perhaps we'll begin to say prayerfully, God, why not me? Well, why not me, God? Why not me? Thank you for allowing this into my life so that you can prune me and refine me and show your mercy, that your mercy is more, that your grace is infinite, that you're the great God that we sing about and how great is our God is is more than a song. It should be the anthem of every true believer in Christ. That even if you don't go our way, we're still going your way, God. When tempted to blame God for my trials or temptations don't I write down a supporting text here in first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one I love the book of first Peter I love I just love it it's so rich it's it's just got white hot coals if you will the embers of scripture as they're they're burning and you think about Peter here's Peter who denied Christ and that Christ said, look, you're going to be that Petra, that stone that I'm going to build my church on. And so it went from Peter being this denial, this one who denies Christ, this denier. I'm going to deny, deny, deny. I don't know Jesus, who him? I don't know him. And then he writes these glorious words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 1, 13 and following. Therefore, in light of what was just said in 1 Peter 1, 13, 1 through 12. Preparing your minds for action. Now, now paint the pictures. We always do paint it. Preparing. We gotta prepare. We don't just stumble into this stuff. There's action. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, clear-minded. I love this. Set your hope. Catch this church. Set your hope. Like we're not looking at the world, we're not looking at the waves. We're setting our hope. Set your hope. Hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Is that just not amazing? Number 14 of 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, there's that obedience thing. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance that was gone, that was behind, that's no longer us. We're, we're now new. We're we're new creations in Christ. We've we've put on, we've we've put off the old, and, and now we, we we've put on Christ. I love this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You say, Why did you pick that scripture, preacher? Let no one say, When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot hear me clearly on this God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Don't go down that rabbit trail. It's a hopeless merry-go-round going nowhere. God cannot be tempted. He tempts no one. And we're going to see very clearly what happens next, because in verse 14, here's what does happen. Look at your Bible. But each person is tempted when he is, here we go, lured and enticed by his own desire did you catch that let me read that again verse 14 look in your bible there but each person so individually don't miss this so individually i'm tempted you are tempted each one we all have our issues we all got our struggle we call it that we all have our issues in our house everyone's got their issues Everyone's struggling. We're stumbling through this life and these bodies of death. But each person is tempted when? When what? When he's lured, when he's enticed by his own desire. Now, I want you to make a note here. So there's this luring. There's this enticing. There's this desire. Let's unpack this together. This luring. It literally paints a picture of a hunter. A hunter many times, I'm not a hunter, but maybe you are, and a hunter at times will attempt to lure the animal, right? We're trying to lure them. We are saying, hey, come here, simplistically, come here, right? I'm the hunter, you're the hunted, come here. There's something going on here to draw out. So picture that where there's a luring going on. So so God doesn't tempt. Uh, He cannot be tempted. He's holy. He's set apart in all His splendor and all His glory. And here's the beauty of this right here. But each one, me, you. Yeah, me and you. Each one of us can't run from this one. We can run, but we can't hide. You can't escape this. Each of us is lured. We are drawn out and literally drug away. Like imagine dragging something away, this prey. The hunter is now dragging away. You could even go deeper here. In this original Greek, you could even go deeper and say this. To really paint a picture, it's as the seduction of a harlot. To be very, very blunt. The lure has been set. Each one of us, can't blame God. He didn't do it. Devil didn't make me do it. Each one, me, you, is drug away. We are drawn out. Now, James wasn't content by the power of the Holy Spirit to leave it there. He also used the word enticed. It means this, to bait, but to bait with the goal of deceiving. So there's a luring, drawing out, dragging out away from truth, let me get away from truth, because if we're out of the truth, that's when the decisions of falseness and deception get made. The enemy knows this. Now, let me entice any fishermen, any fishermen out there. I bet you never thought about this before, that when you're fishing, this is actually a Greek term here, a fishing term, that when you're fishing, you're actually deceiving the fish, <laughs> never thought about that before? Where are you going today, honey? I'm gonna go deceive some fish in my boat. That's what the visual is here. Because think about it. When I take a fishing pole, which I do like to fish, and I put some bait on there, even just a simple worm, and I drop it in the water, what am I doing? I'm deceiving that fish. He sees the worm. But he doesn't understand there's a big hook under the worm. There's that big, big hook under that worm. There's a deception. Are we we picturing this, church? Can't blame God. It's not his fault. Don't blame shift God. No, he's allowing the trials, but it's for our good, for his glory. There's a reason behind it. And yet each one, me, you, we're lured, we're... Enticed. How does this happen? Well, we've alluded to it, but just look at your Bible. By his own, O W N. Don't miss that. That's not filler. That's in there for a reason. By his own belonging to oneself, his own desire. Now let's unpack this for a moment. So that word, their own, in the Greek is idios. You can probably imagine what English word we get from that. You're right, idiot. Think about this. Don't miss this. That when I'm belonging to myself, when there's isolation, what happens is this. When I'm isolated and belonging to myself, just my own, I don't have that multitude of counselors where there's wisdom, and I begin to make foolish, idiotic decisions. See, I'm not blaming God, but each one is lured, baited, deceived, enticed by what? By my own. Not you, not them, by my own. My own desires. Desires, if you're making the note here on this, is very simple. It's unbridled desire. It means lust. Often we think of lust just in a sexual connotation, but you can have a lust for anything, literally. If there is something in your life that you're looking for your contentment and your peace and your joy and your satisfaction outside of Christ, there's a lust for that. There's an unbridled desire. Gotta have it, gotta have it. It's almost like a a force field that just woos you in. drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, right? No, each one, each one is enticed, by his own desire. Think about this. I've used this illustration before, but I think it hopefully gives a good picture. You guys ever been to a buffet? Dumb question. You're Baptist. Of course you've been to a buffet. Buffets are amazing, amen? We love buffets because, you know, you, you go up there and you get one plate and, well, one's not enough. And the beauty of the buffet there's one I'm thinking of right now called Fred's. What a great buffet that is. think the Holy Spirit hovers over Fred's. For you that know where Fred's is, you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. I can picture it even right now. And so you have this buffet and you have what all these choices, don't you? Have you noticed all these, all these choices? That's why we love buffets, don't we? Not only can we eat more than we should. It's a whole other sermon, by the way. But we have a plethora of options, don't we? See, each one of us, we have our own idios, it's us belonging to self, these cravings. And my craving may not be your craving. And your craving may not be my craving. But here's the deal, we all got cravings that are outside of Christ. And the enemy's over here on his buffet going, hey, I'm over here. I got plenty of options for you. I don't care what you take, just partake and drag a whole bunch of people with you off that spiritual cliff. It's the buffet of the enemy. And again, if we're not careful, we, we'll give in to the fleshly desires and, and be that idiot that we so often think of. How about key number two in your notes? Write this down, key number two. When tempted to blame others, not if, but when, when tempted to blame others, I must courageously confront the person in the mirror. Key number two, this is so mission critical. I think if we could just somehow figure out this one portion, our world would never be the same again. Let me say this again. Key number two, when, not if, but when tempted to blame others, I must courageously confront the person in the mirror. we got to get out of this spiritual hot potato game. You guys ever played hot potato before? Maybe you still do. That'd be kind of weird, but if you're an adult and you play hot potato, that's okay. I know in kids we used to play that, right? You had like a ball or whatever you're holding on to. Hey, hot potato, right? You're in a car or whatever. You're bouncing around, throwing whatever it is. Hey, hot potato. Don't we do that in our lives, especially when we call the blame game is uh, now come onto the scene, It's much easier to blame somebody else. Hey, if we've established we can't blame God, what are we going to do in the flesh? Now, we're going to start blaming somebody else, right? Can't blame God. Okay, fine. I I got that one, lock, stock, and barrel. Let me find somebody else to blame. Now, we've got to get out of this. It's blame shifting. The, The root of this, as you know, is always the pride. Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan, said that pride is the worst viper, the worst serpent in the heart. There is something about what happens that, that the pride just simply is, I can't find my satisfaction in pursuing the Lord. So I'm going to pursue self. I'm going to look inward. I'm going to focus inward. And God says, don't look inward. Look to me. Isaiah 45, says this, look to me and be saved. All ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Look to me. Don't blame Schiff. And so often we got our tweezers and we're, we're trying to pull out the speck in somebody else's eye. And in the very process, we got a, a forest growing out of our own eye. Uh, you think about this blame shifting, what goes on, and, and how far people will take this. People will actually, they will truthfully murder physically somebody else to no longer take responsibility for their own actions. That's how deceptive this stuff is. It's amazing we get lured, we get enticed, we get baited by these own idios desires. And what happens is we begin to make decisions that don't even make any rational sense. We lose all moral compass, all guidance. We just begin to make decisions to escape the responsibility. I made a note here. I said, isn't this one of the most used tactics of the enemy? He knows, don't miss this. He knows if we blame everyone else, we will not deal with our sin. And if we don't deal with our sin, we will remain enslaved to our sin. And that's so true. Let me read that again. Isn't this one of the most used tactics of the enemy? The blame shifting. He knows that we blame everybody else. We will not deal with our sin. If we don't deal with our sin, we will remain enslaved to our sin. And yet the reality is this, we must never, and I know so many people, maybe you're watching right now, I know so many people have had such great harm inflicted upon them. So let me pause there for a moment. If that's you, my heart goes out to you. My heart desperately goes out to you if that's you. If there's a wound right now in your life that, that it's been festering for, for days, weeks, months, perhaps decades, my heart goes out to you. But never, hear me clearly on this from Scripture, never allow someone's sin against you or me to justify our sin against them. Never allow their sin against us to now be rationalized in justification that we can go sin against them. Never allow that. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm going to take care of them. we got to walk in holiness. Remember we read from 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. Don't get baited and trapped. Don't squirrel, squirrel, over here, over there. No, look to Jesus. Focus on Him, on Him alone.
1: You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch.
0: I made another note here, a couple notes. I'll just read these to you. We live in a culture where we're passing the buck and blaming everyone else for our own sin, our past, and everything in between is not only accepted, but it's heartily endorsed and cheerfully applauded. For the true believer in Christ, we must at all costs get off this merry-go-round of victim mentality and blaming others. Blaming enslaves, it destroys. Humble confession frees and gives life. Humble confession, it just freezes. It gives us life. Trade in the V of the victim for the V of the victor. Trade in the V of the victim for the V of the victor. Paul said like this, I love this when Paul said this. He said, we are more than conquerors. Literally, in the original language, we have hyper victory. It's like a victory at a ball game, That's like on steroids, it's so huge. We have a hyper-victory in Christ. Don't focus on what happened to you. Focus on who you now are in Christ. The new creation. The old has passed away, all things have become new. And yet so many times I've seen this throughout my ministry, that people, professing believers, are enslaved. They're enslaved to blaming others. Regardless of your past, you have a choice. I have a choice. We all got a choice. Every morning we wake up, we got a choice. Am I going to blame everyone else for what's going on in my life? Am I going to try to blame God? I'm going to say, you know, what's a new day today? It's a new day. I'm going to walk in freedom. I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm not going to allow the bondage of the past to hold me from going forward into the future. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and what a man he was. He said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. Hmm. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. End quote. Did you catch that? Here's what C.S. Lewis was saying, when a man is maturing in Christ, when a woman is maturing in Christ, we now see him for who he is. We take our positional standing in Christ, we give him praise, we give him glory, but now that we see who he is and we rest under him, his blood, his righteousness, we see that on our best day we're filthy rags. Like that's our best day, that's when everything's clicking, we're filthy rags there's going to be a humility there. See for the true believer in Christ, true not false, for the true believer, you will see this. You will see a growing humility in their life. For the person of C.S. Lewis said, however, let me read that part again, when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. See, there's humility and there's pride. They're polar opposites. They're a contradiction in terms. The believer walks in humility. The wicked, foolish, evil person walks in pride. A prideful Christian is a contradiction in terms. Matter of fact, write this verse down, Obadiah 1.3. When's the last time that you read something from Obadiah? Probably didn't realize this even in the Bible. Obadiah 1.3, I love this verse. The pride of your heart has deceived you. The pride of my heart, the pride of your heart, it lures, it entices, it baits, it ensnares, it traps. It's the pride of my heart. It's the pride of your heart. I can't blame anyone else. Can't blame God. Can't blame my family. Can't blame anyone in my sphere of influence. The only person I can blame is I got to deal with that person in the mirror. Those who resist dealing with the topic of pride. Many times are the ones who are unwittingly admitting they got a pride issue. Now think about that for a moment. I mean, when we struggle with something and it gets brought up, we we typically begin to squirm, don't we? Like if you said, uh, I think it's bad to eat chocolate chip cookies. I might not be your friend anymore because I love chocolate chip cookies. But if you said to me, Uh, Hey, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, drinking alcohol. Wouldn't faze me in the least. There's no desire there. There's no draw. There's no allure. We struggle with our own desires. And again, remember the the buffet. It's a big buffet, by the way. It's Satan's buffet. And he's just got endless options. Take all of it. Take some of it but at least take one is what he says. You know, one of the greatest accounts in all of scripture regarding blame shifting, think about this, you probably know what I'm going on this, would be Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve? So back in Genesis, there's Adam and Eve and God says, look, uh, you're gonna be in this glorious garden and I got pretty much one rule of what not to do. Don't eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it or surely, surely you will die. Well, you know what happens. The crafty serpent comes on the scene. And so the first thing he does, like he always does, this is how he works. He doesn't typically come out on the scene with an outright lie. But I just kind of explain it that he likes to dip his toe in the water. And so he comes up to Eve. He saddles up there and says, uh, hey, did God actually say, See, he plants just enough doubt, just distorting the truth just a bit. A seed of doubt, a seed of question against the truth saying, did God really say, did he really say that? Did he mean it? Eve said, hey, look, here's the deal. We can't eat it. We can't touch it, matter of fact, is what she said, or we will die. And then the serpent said this, you will not surely die. See, he went from a, I'm just going to distort the truth a bit, to a total distortion of the truth. Did God really say, and don't we do that when our own evil desires, they begin to, what, press in on us, and now we begin to think that, what, truth is false and false is truth. Well, we don't know what we're doing, where we're going. That's the enemy working. He's playing off our own evil desires that... Within each one of us, outright lie. And then Eve, of course, she's kind of like, hmm. Anytime we start going, hmm, hmm, huh, hmm, hmm, we're in trouble. Because the moment we look away from truth and start to ponder, with the enemy speaking as our own evil desires are craving this, what's happening unwittingly as we hmm, 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 and hmm, here's the truth, and each hmm just leads us farther and farther away. It's like the song says, it's a slow fate. And Satan is much more patient than any of us will ever be. He will wait a lifetime for us to drive off a cliff. And you know what happened? Here we go. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight. Did you catch that when she saw it? When she saw the delight in her eyes and that the tree was to be desired. We've heard that word before. Desired to make one wise. Oh, wow, okay. Feeling pretty good about myself. Hmm. She did what? She took. She took action is what she did she took of its fruit and ate and here's what she also did she also gave so she went from rationalizing to plain out disobedience and she gave to her husband adam who was asleep at the wheel the whole time that's a whole nother issue and he ate it too so now we got corporate sin corporate consequences and here we are today right because then it says this, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves cloths. And here goes the blame shifting right down this text. Genesis 3, 12 through 13. Here it is. Some of the most impressive blame shifting you've ever seen or heard. Genesis 3, 12 through 13. The man said, the woman whom... You gave to me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and yeah, I did eat it. 13. Then the Lord said to the woman, He's going down the pecking order, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Do you see the spiritual hot potato going on here? Like, oh, no, we can see clearly this is not good. God gave us one command, don't do this. We did this, the one thing we shouldn't do. Oh, no, we're seeing clearly what's going on here. Quick, let's start blaming everybody else. And the consequences, as you know, have changed the course of history forever. See, as we see from Genesis, don't miss this church, as we see from this account, the enemy, he is a mastermind, and I call him the master cheerleader. I think he's got pom-poms. Yeah, he, he just cheers us on. Hey, you can do this. Hey, you can do this. Here's the evil desire. Here's the buffet. Oh, you want that over there? Hey, you go take that. Yeah, you need that. I don't think God really said you couldn't have that. Once you go ahead and take it? And he begins to distort the truth, playing off our own evil desires we partake, we drink the Kool Aid, and off the cliff we go. Our eyes are open, we realize who we really are, and what do we do next? It wasn't my fault, it was their fault. And is it any wonder that homes and businesses and ball teams and churches are falling apart by the droves? Because, as C.S. Lewis said, the one who's growing in Christ's likeness will begin to see themselves for who they really are. Ever-growing humility. And the false convert, though, will just begin to see, well, I'm not so bad after all, but it's their fault. This is so mission-critical, church. we got to understand this. Were they living in this shame because of something that happened to them? There was shame going on here. We're naked. What do we do? Was it because of something that happened to them? No, it was because of something they did. It was their sin. We need to call sin for what it is. We can't tiptoe around this any longer. Just call it what it is. Bring it to the light. When we bring it into the light, here's what happens. A couple things happen. When we bring sin into the light, that's when now the healing can begin. Sin festers in the darkness. Keep it buried. Keep it suppressed. Blame somebody else. Don't deal with it. Just keep walking in this. And God's Word shows us clearly that men love the darkness rather than the light, lest their evil deeds be exposed. It's important that we lay it out there on the table and just say, this is what it is. Just own it. <laughs> it's what it is. It's ugly. It's gross. But God's grace is greater. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? No matter what you do or I do, there's nothing that we can do through true confession, true humility that God won't sit there and say, hey, man, thanks for coming home, my child. Man, you lay at the foot of the cross, it can be repented of, confessed and redeemed and walk that way no more. You can learn from it. You can grow from it. Just don't go blaming everybody else. Don't blame God. It's our own evil desires that allure us, that entice us, that lead us astray. I can't truthfully blame anyone else. i got to face the man in the mirror. How about you? How about you today? We'll look at 15, verse 15, our final verse. Here it is. Because the last thing the enemy wants us to do is call our sin, sin. It's the last thing he wants us to do. But look at 15. Here's the result. And what we saw when you flip back there on that That text that we just read here, when you look at this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, verse 13, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So there's the command, "Uh uh-oh, but each one is tempted. Uh Uh-oh, here's what's really going on the truth. Each one is tempted when he, she is lured, enticed by their own desire. Here's 15, here's now the results. Then desire, this lust, this unbridled desire, when it has Conceived. Now, here we go. Here goes a, a visual, a picture we're going to paint. When it has conceived, it now gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So here we go, church. So we have this unbridled desire. Every one of us, we all stand there at the enemy's buffet. Every one of us does. And we go, hmm, what should I have today? And there's that temptation. Now, temptation in itself is not sin unless we give in to the temptation. Very clear, understand this, that we are tempted. It's only sin when we act on the temptation. And right here, here's the picture that James is painting by the inspiration, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, I want you to see clearly what's going to happen in these trials and these testings these temptations. Then this desire, this lust... When it has conceived. So, so when it has conceived, here's the visual. And I want you to picture this. So we often think of like the cycle of life, don't we? Uh, there's conception and there's birth, and then the child grows up to be an adult. And then the cycle of life, as we all get older, is there's death. Uh, this is also the cycle of sin. This is also the cycle of sin. That there's this allure, this craving, this hunger, this, this drawing. I gotta have this, I gotta have this. God, I don't need you right now. Hang on, just go back in your cage. I gotta have this, I gotta have this, I gotta have this. What happens next? It's conceived. And literally in the Greek, it means this. Don't miss this. It means this to seize and to take as a prisoner. So picture. This allure, this allure. When you and I stand at the buffet of the enemy, I gotta remind myself of this as well. When we stand there at the the buffet of the enemy, whatever we partake of is going to conceive in our lives, it's going to hold us captive and hostage. We're signing up to be a prisoner. That's how insane sin is. Sin is nothing to be toyed around with. People say, hey, it's all about grace and God saved me and said, let's go partay. Really? You really want to cheapen God's grace by living in filth and sin? You really want to do that? That's not a mark of someone who's been saved. That's delusion. It's utter insanity. Here, James is very clear. It's conceived. It's going to hold us hostage. It's, we're now ensnared. We're held captive. We give in. Then it goes from conception to birth. Don't you love when the baby's born? Everyone's excited. We're holding up the babies. I did that with my kids. I'm holding them up. Oops, almost dropped them. No, just kidding. Now we're holding them up in the air, you know, showing them off. Stay outside there. Oh, look at this. Awesome. I got boy number one and boy number two and boy number three. Then I got my girl, right? There's something about the birth. This birth. But again, just not the birth of the life, but the birth of the sin. It's producing the fruit. And this sin, as you guys know, we've talked about this in your notes. You want to just make a note of this. Sin is simply this it's missing God's mark. God has a mark, a bullseye, and we're aiming for that. We're making our aim, as Paul said, to be well pleasing. We're going to make it our aim to be well pleasing to the Lord. And sin's over here, it's everywhere, it's on the buffet everywhere going here, come here, come here, come here. And when we go over here from God, we're now missing His mark. We're missing it. We're aiming. We're all over the place. Bang, bang. We're not hitting the bullseye anymore, and we're wondering why our lives are in such chaos. It's because through pride, we've said, God, I don't need you. I don't need to follow you. I'm going to go my own way. And God, in His grace and mercy, says, okay, fine, We've got to be careful, though, because there's times where we make our bed and we got to sleep in it. This sin, this wandering from God's truth, prone to wander, as the song says, prone to leave the God I love, missing God's mark. I made a note here. I said if I wander from God's truth, I wander into my own version of the truth. Well, that's frightening, isn't it? If I wander from God's truth, and maybe you are today, maybe you're wandering from God's truth, you're just wandering around in your wilderness. When you and I wander away from his truth, we now do this, we now create and manufacture a version of the truth that's our own, which is false, it's deception, leads to heartache and pain and destruction. Because when it's fully grown, here's the completion, the completion of the cycle, the allure, the conception, the birth of sin, It's now fully grown. It's completed. It's completed. And what happens right there in your Bible 15? And when it's fully grown, what happens? It brings forth death. Physical death could be, sure. There are people that walk in sin and literally it ravages their body or they do something stupid and physically they die. That does happen. But be warned. If we begin to walk in sin and there's not repentance... There's not contrition. And there's not a desire to be holy and live for the one that, that we claim, that we've professed. We've raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked. But there isn't any life change. And we live in sin. We just live in it. There's no conscience. The conscience has been seared. James is very clear here that's going to bring forth a spiritual death. That's why our last key, key number three, here it is. Key number three. When tempted to sin, when, not if, when tempted to sin, all of us, me, you, I must embrace that my sin has consequences. So as we all stand, you guys are never going to go to a buffet and never look at that buffet the same way again, amen? I can see you guys now walking into Fred's going, I can't eat here. This is sinful. We stand at the buffet of life. We stand there. It's going to have consequences. There's no way around this. When I sin, when you sin, there are always consequences. Unbridled desire, conception, birth to sin, sin fully grown, brings forth death. And again, just not the circle of life, but truly the circle of sin. One commentator said it like this. I love what this man said. Listen very closely. This is wisdom. One commentator James represents men's lust as a harlot, which we alluded to, which entices their understanding and will into its impure embraces. Picture this. And from that conjunction, conceive sin. Sin being brought forth immediately acts and is, I love this phrase, and is nourished. Picture that. It's nourished. It's the fuel to keep the sin going. It's nourished by frequent repetition. That's good. Until at length it gains such great strength that it turns and it begets death. This is the true genealogy of sin and death. Wow, wow. It nourishes, it just intoxicates us, doesn't it? No, we gotta have it, gotta have it. Gotta take the edge off, dull the pain, fill in the blank, whatever we stand in, we gotta have it, we gotta have it. And God says, no, I'm over here. I'll bring you what you need. I'll give you the peace and the joy and the contentment. I'm over here. That's why the last verse, write it down. Here's the last verse for your notes. And again, this is one that probably all of you know But do we truly internalize it? Romans 6 23. Romans 6.23. Write it down. Romans 6.23 for the wages, the paycheck of sin is what? You know this. Death. Comma. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. There is a paycheck. If you and I are going to rebel against God and turn from Him and say, God, I don't want to go your way. We're not talking about trying to live for the Lord. And yes, we all stumble. We're talking about habitual, unconfessed, unrepentant sin that says, no, I'm not going your way. I'm going to profess Jesus, but I'm going to live in sin Monday through Saturday. The wages of sin is death. Be warned. Be warned. The wages of sin is death. But the free, the free gift of God, it's free, is eternal life through what? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, here's our takeaway question. Takeaway question. Very simple question. Here it is. Am I under the control of my sinful flesh or under the control of the Holy Spirit? For the true believer, you will be under the control of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says this that those who walk according to the flesh cannot please God. You can profess Jesus, you can be a pastor, you can be a deacon, Sunday school teacher, you can be an elder in the church, you can be at the church 24 7, 365, you can live at the church. But if the heart is stony and rebellious, if the heart's never been given to Christ in the first place, It's going to be hard to keep up that charade long-term. Well, here's your action step. Final point, action step. Here it is. I will not blame God. I will not blame others. But I will take ownership of my own sin. Here's the action step. Write it down. I will not blame God. I will not blame others. But I, I will take ownership ownership of my own sin. I will look in the mirror and do business with that person in the mirror. The mirror doesn't lie. We we say that often, don't we? Boy, doesn't the mirror add 15 pounds? We love to say that, don't we? But the mirror doesn't lie. The mirror doesn't lie. Who that man is, who that woman is, who that student, that child is looking into the mirror right now, it doesn't lie. I know what some people think because I've heard it throughout the years. Well, one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. One of these days, really. You know, what I've learned about one of these days. This is what I've learned about one of these days. Typically, one of these days continues to turn into a mantra that action is never taken on. And one of these days, if we're not careful, one of these days typically turns into one of those days that it came and it went. It was here today and gone tomorrow. How about you today? Will you give your life to Christ today? Right now is the Holy Spirit stirring and wooing in your heart. And will you give your life to Him? Maybe you've professed Christ. Maybe you're watching right now and, and you've professed Christ. You've made this profession. It's been a great sham and a great charade, been going on for years. And the reality is you've never truly given your life to Christ. How about you humble yourself right now? Just humble yourself right now. Don't surrender some. How about right now, you surrender all. Give your life to Christ. It's the one decision that you'll never regret. Father, we just come before you now. and God, as we pause and pray and seek your face, God, I pray, would you, would you stir in a mighty way right now for that person that's watching right at this very moment. And they're one of those. They're one of those that, Said, one of these days, I'm going to get around to doing this. And those days have, they've come and now they're gone. There's going to be a time, Lord, we know this, that, that we'll die unless you return. And we will face the judgment. And once we die, once we exit this earth, there are no do-overs. God, i got to pray for that soul right now that's been delaying to giving their life to you. To delay is to disobey. Walk in freedom and obedience right now as you surrender your life to Christ. Just give Him your life, everything. Maybe you're one who's made that profession, but the reality, is, and you know it, it was never real. Your heart never really changed. You've been hanging on to Jesus and hanging on to the world. And you can only keep up that charade for so long. Gotta pray, would you stir right now? Word of God, would you speak? Fall down like rain right now in our hearts. This is your time, oh God, to you be the praise, to you be the glory.
1: And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.